0: Hey, yo, you are listening to the Podcast of Thousands. Late night talk, showcasing performers, and last time with Zero the Budget. Here's your host, Mikey P. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Michael Panessa, and this is the Podcast of Thousands, where we showcase performers from actors to YouTubers and everything in between. Just a reminder we're Podcast of Thousands on. Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Google Plus, and Tumblr. If there's a there, there. You know it. The podcast of thousands is there. On tonight's show, we'll have guest, actor, and producer, Sela Victor.
1: I liked your podcast.
0: Oh,
2: wow. Okay. Thanks.
1: I used to work on the street, and I'd listen to it while I was walking.
2: Right. Yeah, podcasts are good for jobs like that.
1: I never listened when someone was inside me. Huh. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I guess that would be distracting.
1: Right?
0: And music by rock artist Derek Jordan.
2: This will be my year. Everything is better. I become a winner. I become a winner. This
0: will be my year. But first, and now, moments with Michael. I took an improv class a few years back. Eight Wednesdays with a performance for family at the end. They taught us all the improv games. On performance night, four of us did this one game. One guy and one girl sat in chairs. One girl and myself sat behind them, where you couldn't see us. We were their voices. They had to act us out. The topic was man being allergic to woman's cooking. We rocked it. Even though she voiced fart noises in her rebuttal to my complaining. Four times she threw farts in my face. Still hilarious. After it was all over, our teacher gave us one critique. The audience didn't appreciate the overused fart noises. Okay. We got to greet our family and friends, and my teacher happened to be right by mine. I introduced her to all of them. A woman I worked with was in attendance. Her first compliment? I loved it. My favorite was the farting scene. And that was moments with Michael. And now I'd like to welcome our guest, actor and producer, Cela Victor. Welcome to the show, Cela.
1: Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: How are you doing to this evening?
1: I am good. I'm excited to be on the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to have you. So I'm tempted, I'm tempted to start out talking about public breastfeeding, but I'm going to, we'll, we'll squeeze that in later. We'll squeeze that in okay. later. We'll tease. Right. It's, a, it's called a tease, right? That's
1: right. It's That's a tease.
0: Right. I want to start talking about uh, growing up with seven siblings, right?
1: Yes. yes. Six
0: brothers, nonetheless.
1: Yes. Six brothers, one sister. Um, it's crazy because we're all two years apart, some even less than two years. So we were, you know, so close growing up. I mean, it's the age range is basically 14 years between all eight. So there's three older brothers from me and three younger brothers and my sister's younger as well. So I was smack dab in the middle, which explains a lot of me wanting to be an actress. watch me give me attention (laughs) so definitely middle child syndrome that's
0: where I was headed I was headed towards uh were you even performing at a young age
1: yes yeah well so uh, my parents were really great about encouraging the arts encouraging creativity my dad is an amazing singer and guitarist he actually has two albums out that he wrote,
2: uh,
1: under doc Victor, His name's Jeff Victor, but yeah, you can check him out. And my mom was a kindergarten teacher on top of having eight kids. So yeah, she loves kids, but, (laughs) uh, they were just both very creative and very artistic. And so we all did stuff. My, my second brother is just was a, a child prodigy on the piano. He studied musicology at Yale and, um, My youngest brother was a jazz pianist. My third brother, Benjamin Victor, is a world-famous sculptor. Wow. Actually, the youngest sculptor to have two statues in Statuary Hall in the Capitol Building in D.C. So he was 26, I think, when he got his first one. So, uh, yeah, he's pretty amazing. But anyway, all that to say, yes, I actually have one of my earliest memories. I was about three, maybe four is I was standing on the windowsill practicing how do you solve a problem like Maria from Sound of Music singing that. <laughs> that was my stage and the curtains of the window was were my curtains. And my brother, Zach, the, the second one, the pianist, was practicing piano. So he kept yelling me to, at me to shut up. And finally, I finished my song. I closed the curtains. I leaned back on the window thinking it was closed and I fell out the window. Oh, <laughs> wow. But my mom thought I just was stopping because he was yelling at me. <laughs> so, <laughs> needless to say, I survived. But yes, I was always performing, always trying to, you know, get a little attention there.
0: <laughs> trying to stand out in the crowd of kids, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, and it was, it was tough. I mean, we were definitely... With all those boys, there were a lot of fights, but now we're all pretty close and um, love being together. A lot of them are here in LA, so that's really fun.
0: Very cool. I had a line here that you became the most popular of all, right?
1: I don't think I was the most. (laughs) I was not the most popular growing up, for sure. And I don't. I definitely think Ben's the most popular of us all now. The sculptor. (laughs) But yeah, now we all uh, definitely hold each other in high regard. So it's pretty awesome.
0: Great genes in the family too. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all, you know, pretty, pretty ambitious people. <laughs> yeah. You kind of have to be in a big family because, you know, it's there's not a lot of money. You you fight. If you don't, if you don't scramble, you don't eat basically. Right. So, right. so you learn how to fight from a young age. You learn how to hustle.
0: Where did you grow up?
1: Well, so we moved around a lot when we were little, little, but we landed in Bakersfield. Okay. All like Southern California, small towns, mostly the Porterville, Taft. Um, My parents actually grew up in LA. They started here with their first two and then they moved where it was a little more affordable to have eight children. (laughs) Sure, sure. Yeah. So, and they were both teachers. um, So, you know, it was hard, but, but good. And I think it was a great way to grow up as far as not having everything. I think a lot of kids today, it's a detriment to them having whatever they want, whenever they need. You know, I think, yeah, you learn to have that ambition, that work ethic. It's really important.
0: Not in this house. My kids don't get anything that they want.
1: Good. Keep yeah. it
0: down.
1: That- <laughs> I, I told my husband, I'm like, our kids are going to, they're going to think we're really poor. (laughs) I mean, it's not far from the truth, but you know, I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) More, more poor than you are. More More poor
1: than, than, exactly. Exactly.
0: So later let's fast forward. We'll fast forward to college. Yeah. And you spent a year abroad in the UK, right?
1: I did. It was just amazing. I, um, I went to UC Irvine and then my junior year, my best friend and I decided to go study abroad in England. And, uh, it was Probably one of the best experiences of my life. Just you're at such an impressionable age, first of all. So, especially me being from Bakersfield and then going to Orange County, I mean, I really hadn't seen the world. I'd literally been on an airplane once to Missouri, of all places, because I won a singing contest. But other than that, I had not been out of California. So, it was truly incredible. And just changed everything I was and am today. And uh, what was really cool too is obviously studying theater there. The foundation that the Brits have is so amazing. I mean, there's it's, there's a reason we cast so many Brits in our projects here in America. And, and just that theater foundation and education was invaluable. Um, and I actually ended up doing, so I went to school at University of Birmingham, which was a great program. And then I ended up getting into a show at the Liverpool Institute of the Arts, which Paul McCartney um, is one of the founders or one wow. of the donors. Yeah, I got to meet Sir Paul, which was amazing. Nice. That was cool. But I did a show that with them that ended up going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So I lived in Scotland a bit, too, which was just incredible and and so much fun and and um, it was quite the journey, and I I ended up doing um, shows all over Birmingham as well. And so, yeah, so it was pretty amazing.
0: What's the criteria? What's the criteria to 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 be chosen for that, or to to be able to do something like that? Because it's not you can't just be anybody, right? To be able to right. do that.
1: Well, actually, that's a funny story. I I had this in my head the whole year. I really wanted to go be in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I'd heard about it. I thought it sounded so cool. So that was like a sort of a goal my whole year. So I see this announcement on one of the bulletin boards at school for auditions for this play um, at the Liverpool Institute of the Arts. So I submitted a video because, of course, when you're in England or anywhere in Europe, you can jump on a plane and go anywhere. And my roommates and I were happening, happened to be going to Prague that weekend. So I couldn't go audition in person. (laughs) So, you know, Prague comes first. So I submitted a video they called me back and at the callback, which I did go to Liverpool to do in person, um, it was the day before I was supposed to fly back home. And so I told them in the room, I was like, I could stay the rest of the summer and go to the French Festival, but you have to tell me right now if I'm cast because otherwise I can't. <laughs> so they told me there that I was cast. And actually, then another funny thing. So that's how that happened. I ended up auditioning on the West End for Les Mis. There was a big open call and I stood in line all day, auditioned. I ended up getting cast as one of the ensemble members. My that this was after Liverpool, so my visa my student visa was going to expire in a week. Oh. Maybe 2 days, I don't even remember. It was September around then. It was a year-long visa. And so I got cast, and they didn't know I was American because when you're singing, you can't really tell right right You walk in, you sing eight to sixteen bars, and you walk out like you don't really talk at all. so they after they heard me on the phone and and asked me, "Are you American? You know yes, I don't and do you have a visa? No?" And they couldn't justify to equity. British equity, why they were hiring an American when there are tons of other Brits who could play an ensemble role, you know? Oh. So I ended up having to go home and not get cast. Well, you made it though. You made it anyway. I made it. Yes. Made it. I was meant to go back home. <laughs> Otherwise I might still be there. Who knows? So
0: when did you make your way back to LA?
1: So I, after that, I, I had a whole year left to call uh, college uh, at UC Irvine to, so I graduated and then in 2003 came to LA, and you know was convinced I was going to be a famous star right away, <laughs> and couldn't believe there was so much competition. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the first week I was here in LA, I booked a commercial, and then a little comedy sketch on Jimmy Kimmel Live, and I was just convinced. I was like, oh, this is easy, you know? (laughs) And reality soon came, and I needed to get some day jobs, and, you know, it was pretty funny, though, looking back, because it's it's nice to have that luck at the beginning, though, because it shows you that you can do it, but it's also kind of funny, because you think you're going to be a star right away.
0: (laughs) So what was the first film you were in?
1: Oh, you know, the first film... Gosh, I'm like, I need to look at my IMDb. Uh, I think <laughs> Been it so was. so many now. I, well, it, I do so much more TV that it's, I can remember, mm-hmm. I don't remember which came first in the crime. Well, I think it was this film, um, Amy Simple McPherson, which, was, which starred Rance Howard, Ron Howard's dad. But I can't remember if it was that or this one I did with America Ferrara down in Panama. Oh, wow. Which was really cool. that was called "Towards Darkness," and it was really funny. It was before America was a huge star on Ugly Betty or anything, so it was neat to hang out with her and she was awesome. But yeah, I think one of those two <laughs>
0: very cool, very cool. All right, let's get to the public breastfeeding we had to we had to we had to get here eventually we did so until last night, I thought you were only the public breastfeeder in Bad Santa too. With, with Billy Bob Thornton, ah, I no. thought that was it. I thought that was it. But then I I ran across your name on an episode of one of my wife and I my our favorite shows, Teachers.
1: Yes. And
0: you were doing the same thing as Amazing. Teresa Teresa Larson, one of the teachers there, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. So we just
0: we just uh, we had DVR'd all all the episodes, and we had we just watched that one like a week or so ago. I think I had already reached out to you, and I, I had no. I I didn't even connect the dots and know, and know that it was you. Yeah.
1: I love that. Yeah, no, I, um, that I shot that actually about a year ago now, and then it just aired in December. Okay. And what's so funny is I'm actually pregnant now. And so everyone's like, Oh, you did that when you were pregnant. I'm like, Nope, I shot that about a year ago. (laughs) Perfect now. yeah, Yeah. Art reflecting life or life, whatever. But But yeah, I definitely have a little niche based on my physical build.
0: (laughs) And I saw today you have a movie you're working on where it's called Expecting. Is that right?
1: Oh,
0: or is that a, is that, is that a, uh, was that a fake? Was that a reveal?
1: That was my pregnancy announcement. (laughs) That is
0: awesome. Oh, that's so cool
1: movie poster um that looked like the james bond the specter poster so yeah it's called expecting
0: <laughs> yeah, i didn't put that together till just now either i'm a little slow tonight that's
1: really <laughs> yes yeah so, i wish i mean this is a much more it's a much more rewarding project but yeah maybe there'll be another movie called expecting <laughs> there
0: you go there you go Well, we had um, we had Caitlin Barlow on the show, Mrs. Cannon. Yeah, yeah. we did. She was on uh, early on in the in the podcast. Yeah, that's
1: awesome. She's so great. They're also, I I was a huge fan of the show before being on it because it's so funny and they're just clever and brilliant and the way they weave in social issues like the public breastfeeding. Yeah, it's just it's really great and for women too. Um, I just think it's brilliant.
0: Yeah, I want to spoil it. I want to spoil the episode, but. listeners got to go check it out themselves. I'm going to link to it in the show notes as well. Oh,
1: good. It's so funny. It's a really really great episode. I was really proud to be on it and there
0: was one part that was funnier than the rest, but and I'm sure you know what that is. I
1: know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah, and that was so fun to shoot. It was really, it was a hoot.
0: Yeah, they are they are pretty amazing. In that you know they were they're longtime friends and they've they've grown up together in the industry and I know. Um, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing that they're uh, they're now a success like that. So
1: yeah, and it was an honor to be a part of the group because. You know, there, there aren't a lot of other female guest stars that get to come on because there's so many of them, you know, there's right. six or seven of them. So it was such an honor to get to be a part of that show in that way. I loved it. And they were all so great to work with, so hardworking, so funny, so pleasant, no egos, you know, all that.
0: All right, let's go, let's switch to something a little bit more serious. We'll get, We'll get into something a little bit more serious. So I always like to talk with my guests about something in the news. Okay. So I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about being an actress in Los Angeles during this Me Too movement. Yes. Right. So uh, being there, being in you know one of the bigger industries, obviously it impacts a lot of different industries and a lot of different people in their in their jobs or work. Do you have a specific Me Too moment or close friends of yours or how how has this impacted you?
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, when it first came out, I was—it's I had I had known personally uh, from—I well, shouldn't say personally—I had known from people that about Harvey Weinstein's behavior, but it it really made me think about things that I had experienced that I'm like, oh wait, yeah, that wasn't right. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Why did that happen to me? I was so you know, and and I remembered this one situation in particular. I just moved to LA. I was 22 years old, very naive. And I had met this big time manager who actually at first was very pleasant. He took, I worked at a restaurant. I met him at the restaurant. He said he could help me of course. Um, and he takes me out to lunch and actually gave me some great advice and things that I really valued. And at lunch, he found out I was a personal trainer. That was my day job. So I, and I go to homes all the time to do that. Mm -hmm. It's totally normal. So he said, well, why don't you come over and train me? And, um, you know, and I'm thinking, yes, great. I get a client. He's huge in the industry. This can only be good. So I, and again, I'm 22, so he's about 42 probably. I remember him being about 20 years older than me. So in my mind, I I think like, of course, very naive, but oh, like this isn't sketchy at all. He's so much older, you know, (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking, but So I go to his house. Oh, and again, this is normal to go to people's houses to train them. Sure, sure. You Mm -hmm. know, so I go to his house and I walk in and he's wearing a towel and nothing else underneath, of course. I was scared at first thinking, well, maybe like maybe he's going to go get dressed, maybe, you know, whatever. But sure enough, he basically asks me to stretch him naked essentially. <laughs> That's so gross to even say, um, but, and I shouldn't laugh about it, but it's just embarrassing. Cause thinking sure. back, I was like, I was not like, um, I, you know, there's flight, fight or flight. And I, I just fled. I mean, I ran out of there as soon as I could, but the worst part was then he calls me later and he's like, you're never going to make it in Hollywood or, you know, you got to no. yeah. Oh yeah. What? How many girls I've helped and blah, blah, blah. And you need to put out, uh, yeah, all this stuff. And I just hung up and, but one of my friends was like, well, why did you answer the phone? And thinking back, it's because you're scared. You think you did something wrong. You think they're apologizing. Maybe. I mean, there's so many things. Right. I remember exactly why I did, but I was terrified of what this guy could do to me in the industry or whatever, but thank God, I just never talked to him again. I mean, it was ridiculous. So there's that, but I do think now, I think we have to be very careful in what's being put out there and what's being said about people. I think people's men and their lives are being ruined a lot for things that we don't know. I mean, they're allegations. We don't know. The media is very powerful in the way that they can present things and, and say things that are seemingly fact and we just don't know if they are. So I just, and also at the same time to make the punishment fit the crime. Like, uh, if, you know, if you set the rules now, it's one thing, but if you set the rules now and then say to someone 20 years ago who did something, I'm not talking about like rape or any physical assault, but just, you know, ran their mouth or whatever, then and now we're destroying their lives. I just think we have to be careful with the way the movement is taking off. And at the same time, respect the victims for what they're saying. So I just I think it's just such a tricky issue right now.
0: Yeah. I totally agree. And there's 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 this might not be popular to say, but there's there's different levels of this. There's That's right. Not not everybody is the you know, the guy you ran into, right? Yeah. You know, and there's, you know, there's, but I mean, there's creeps that are just kind of creepy and do, do kind of things subtly. And then there's, yeah, there's the, the people that take it way to the extreme and right. They should not be judged the same way. I think is what. That's right. right. And,
1: and at the end, maybe it's a good thing. I mean, maybe the creeps will stop doing creepy things. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, so. So it'll be, you know, sort of a eye-opening experience for everyone. Just how, I mean, this, I don't know if this is the best analogy, but just how racist, racist talk now is terrible. I mean, we all know if someone talks like that around you, you have every right to say, hey, that's not, you know, that's not okay. Whereas 50 years ago, people wouldn't open their mouth and chastise someone. So same thing with with inappropriateness sexually. Like, I feel like it's great. It's giving us all the ability and, and, and women especially the strength and the courage to say, hey, you can't talk to me like that. And and instead of it being like the accepted behavior of men, you know, so that part is great.
0: Right. So this is always, you know, this is obviously always been going on and will continue to go on. It just happens that, you know, there's a lot of attention on it right now. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Do you feel things will stay changed?
1: I think, I mean, again, sort of like, racism I, I I guess maybe I'm optimistic to a fault but I do think it will improve and change I think especially for men I can't imagine watching other I mean men are being destroyed right and left you you'd have to be a fool to say something now you know what I mean like yeah. so maybe things will change um, it will take time but and I do think the more women can be strong and band together and and not be afraid to say, Hey, you can't treat me like that or report behavior or say, cause I know for me, I was, I would never, who, well, first of all, who would I have reported that to back then? But in the moment, like I said, I just ran. I didn't even say anything like, Hey, you can't do that to me. <laughs> so maybe this will change the way we react to situations as well, which is great. Back to breastfeeding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Something I didn't mention in the pre-interview is I quiz my guests.
1: Oh, great. Yes,
0: yes. Are you ready? I like to see how smart my guests are. Okay. All right. So I found out you're also a graduate of the Second City Conservatory, right?
1: I am, yes. Yes. The writing and the performing.
0: So the theme is how smart are students of improv?
1: Oh, okay. All
0: right. So I've got four, four definitions that a good student of improv should know. Okay. okay. I'm going to start, start with a real softball here. Real softball. Yes anding. What does yes anding mean?
1: Ah, yes anding is when you're in the middle of a scene um, and someone presents a topic or you know a line of discussion, you don't say no. You say yes and, and you add to it.
0: Never say no.
1: Never, Never say no.
0: Ding, 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 ding. Yep. <laughs> All right. Okay, number two, raising the stakes.
1: Raising the stakes, so making something even more extreme, more dramatic, more conflict. Yeah,
0: That's right. very <laughs> cool, very cool. Two for two, you're a pro. Yeah. Oh. All right, here's here, we're gonna get start getting hard here. We're gonna start getting hard. Uh-oh. Here. Crossfade. What is a crossfade?
1: Oh, that is hard. Ugh. <laughs> I did graduate many years ago. Now, <laughs> this might not have been a term back then. Crossfade. Is it when like you? move into another scene in improv, like seamlessly, like it goes from one uh, situation to another, like another location or another situation. Is that it?
0: Are you playing, are you playing me here? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Oh, it
1: is? Oh, good.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I
1: was was thinking crossfade in a movie, like in, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's similar. It's similar. Yeah. So start of a new scene while the previous one is winding down. Yeah. Oh,
1: perfect. Phew.
0: Which I've never seen, really seen in improv or... Or anything like that, but uh, it's it's a term. It's a term.
1: Yeah, that's like long form probably, I think. Oh, probably. there
0: you go. Yeah, as they, yeah. Yes. Oh, on and on and on. Yep. Yes. All right, what's bulldozing?
1: Oh, geez, that is a hard one. Um, <laughs> um I think it would probably bulldozing. When someone <laughs> just comes into a scene and changes it all, I don't know.
0: <laughs> kind of. Bulldozes uh, and, uh, their <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. is really their own ideas. They, oh. they only push. They only push their own ideas into the scene.
1: I was very close. Not
0: a good. It's not a good thing, is what. Not a uh, good thing. Yeah, uh, no. What they said on this improv site that I pulled it from.
1: Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> You've never bulldozed a scene, though,
1: right? I've never bulldozed a scene, but I have been bulldozed. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely, I'm sure you. Yeah.
1: have. Yeah. I probably never bulldozed a scene because. Uh, my second city friends could all tell you I'm usually the one, the the Jimmy Fallon trying not to crack up the whole time. So.
0: Ah, okay. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: You'd be a, you'd be a horrible SNL uh, host, right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I cannot stop laughing when I'm in those improv scenes. But nice, nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, tell my listener about All I Wish opening opening on March 30th.
1: Yes, I'm so excited. So All I Wish is a movie I produced with Sharon Stone, Tony Goldwyn, uh, Ellen Burstyn, Famke Janssen, and Gilles Marini. It, I'm so proud of it. I was brought on by the writer-director Susan Walter. I kind of fell into producing – well, I had been producing theater – For years, I run a theater company in Hollywood called Actors Co-op. I'm the production manager there. And I produced several shows with them. And then I produced some web things, web series and sketches and stuff like that. So I knew I liked producing and that it was a skill set I was good at. So what happened was I kind of accidentally sold one of Susan's other scripts. (laughs) And once that sold, we went into pre-production and I learned so much. What does that mean?
0: What does that mean you accidentally sold? Oh,
1: well, I... At the time, I didn't realize I was pitching it to sell it, but I was, and I pitched it to a production company oh. who ended up buying it. So they brought me on as a producer. So I, I fell into it in that way. Of course, ever since then, when I've tried to pitch screenplays, it's never been that easy. But again, same thing. Beginners <laughs> left where you're you're supposed to go on this path, but it's never that easy again. But um, but so anyway, so yeah, so we went into pre production. It that movie ended up falling apart. But right when it did, the other producers of the Sharon Stone movie had brought the money together. They brought Sharon on board. And um, so Susan said, well, I want to bring Selah on board as a producer because we work well as a team. And so she brought me on board and it was the most incredible experience. I learned so much, first of all, but I fell in love with producing and uh, loved being a part of it. The movie was mostly shot at my house, which was a lot of fun as well. Um, so you know, to wake up and go to your kitchen and have Sharon there. Oh
0: wow, <laughs> so wow! Yeah,
1: it was really fun. But and she was wonderful to work with, and um, so was Tony Goldwyn and Ellen. Bur- I mean, they were all just what a stellar cast to be a part of. Then we ended up doing um, a buyer screening here in LA, where Universal picked it up. So they are releasing the movie on March 30th in theaters and on demand. Uh, the trailer is out already. And uh, yeah, and I'm sure you'll link to it. But the trailer's launched and the movie will be everywhere in about a month. So it's super exciting.
0: Do you talk to Sharon Stone about Basic in- Instinct at all?
1: I didn't. No. I didn't. You know, no. she is so fascinating to talk to about just. Any topic that
0: she's probably sick of hearing it, right? Well, yeah,
1: she's probably, and and you get started on a topic with her. She's so smart that it's, it's just like, you just want to talk to her forever. She's just dynamic. She's a dynamic human being. She's really cool. And yeah, so I I did not get to talk to her about that, but I talked to her about many other things. (laughs) So it was fun. And now, so Susan and I are actually putting together our next movie called Out in the Cold that we're planning to shoot this March. Um, in Utah. So that'll be really great. And I'm actually starring in that one as well. I have a little cameo in All I Wish, but mostly just produced that one. But this one I'll be producing and I have a lead role in. So it'll be
0: really exciting. Congratulations. That's awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited.
0: What else are you working on this year for 2018?
1: Well, I am I'm a voice on a it was Nickelodeon, now it's a Netflix cartoon called Miraculous Ladybug. I Uh, voice the mean girl Chloe, which the fans love to hate. I do get hate mail from them though. (laughs) Which scares me. I know. They're very intense (laughs) fans. It's hilarious. Like they're it's kids, but it's also like teenagers and even adults. And they'll write things on my Instagram like I hate Chloe. You're, you're so awful. And like, it's just, I'm just an actor. <laughs> not real.
0: That's your role. That's your role.
1: That's my role. So yeah. I'm doing that. I also voice another show on Netflix called cable girls. And, um, I am taking a little break from theater. I did a lot of theater last year, but with the pregnancy, I can't do as much theater, but I am still auditioning and doing TV and film and as much as I can. And then, yeah, we have this movie and, um, some other things in the Irons in the Fire with producing. And so we'll see.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I wish you well. And thank you for your time, Sayla.
1: Thank you so much, Michael. This was great. I really appreciate it.
0: You can get all the details and links about actor and producer, Sayla Victor, in your show notes. Yay. Music's always been important to me. Whether I'm doing the Argentine Tango or the Carolina Shag, I like listening to a lot of different music. I thought I'd let artists and bands submit their music to the podcast of thousands and we'd showcase it for them in each episode. Here's a song called This Will Be My Year by the rock artist Derek Jordan, who's from Southern California. First, a couple of musical notes about Derek Jordan. His music combines the punch of the Foo Fighters with the vulnerability of 21 pilots and the unorthodox nature of AWOL Nation. Also, he refuses to let a guitar solo die. I picked this song from Derek Jordan because I like any song I can sing to that has the line, I become a winner in it. If you like it, you can get all the information you need about Derek Jordan in your show notes. Enjoy. You've been listening to the Podcast of Thousands. If you're a performer and want to be on our show, check us out at www.podcastofthousands.com and click on Get On. Since you're already online, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate us, five stars or higher, and leave us your comments. You can find all the details in our show notes. Thank you very much for listening, and to all you performers out there, break a leg.